Why do we dunk people in water? Why do we require a person to be immersed before they're a member of the Springfield Church of Christ? There's a lot of confusion around it because if you go back thousands of years ago during the Dark Ages, the church taught that if you're baptized, it automatically made you a Christian. In their mind, circumcision made a little, uh, made a little boy Jewish, and baptism could make a little boy or a little girl, a Christian. And so they began to baptize their newborns. And when they grew up, they told them, well, you know you're a Christian because your mom or dad had you baptized in an infant. About 500 years ago, Protestant reformers strongly objected, objected to that and said, no, you really have to have a personal trust in Jesus Christ. It's not something your parents can do for you. They, they can dedicate you, but... You can be baptized until you're waterlogged, but if your mind and your heart haven't made the decision and aren't right, you're just going to be a soaked sinner. And the Protestant leaders overreacted, and they went to the opposite extreme and said, well, it's just one of those things that it's good to do, it's not necessary to do, it's just an act of obedience alone. Like, like children who argue with their parents, mom, dad, why? And you say, because I said so. Uh, and, and so for many people, that became the reason that they were baptized. But weren't really sure of its significance. Baptism, it, it is an act of obedience. And that alone to me is sufficient reason to be baptized. But what I hope you'll see in the larger picture this morning is this. God has a reason behind every command he gives. When God commanded Noah build an ark, it wasn't just a test of obedience. It was, it was instruction for survival. When God commanded the Israelites to not eat certain foods or not intermarry with relatives and take one day off in seven, those weren't just a test of, of their obedience. They were given so the Hebrews could live healthy, distinctive lives and know him in a unique way. One of the, my favorite verses in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. You know, I believe there are many good reasons He commanded us to be baptized, and I think one of them is so that we can know we are following Christ. If for nothing else, friends, Jesus Himself was baptized, and I believe if it was good enough for the Son of God, it's good enough for me. If it was good for him to do, it's got to be good for me. And he, even without sin, he humbled himself to identify with us, and he gives us an example to follow. I like what Mark says in his gospel. In the message paraphrase, he said this, At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And the moment he came out of the water, he saw the sky split open and God's Spirit looking like a dove, came down upon him. And along with the Spirit, a voice, you are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. I like that. Dr. Adrian Rogers said, baptism, it's not incidental, it's fundamental. Don't ever minimize what God has maximized. Think about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a ministry that lasted for only three and a half years, and at the very commencement of his ministry, how did he do it? He was baptized. And when he concluded his ministry, what were his last words? The Great Commission. 
We have a saying here at the Springfield Church of Christ, and you don't see this in print very much, but it was an old belief and value that we held to. Jesus' last command is our first priority. There it is. And I believe that because of that, it actually is an act of obedience. The gospel says in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Why do we do it this way? It's right here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. But it's also a public expression of our faith. Baptism is, is an undeniable declaration to everyone that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It is a public confession of your faith that along with repentance and your faith itself, it's a foundation of what it means to, to follow after Christ with all your heart. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, verse 15 and 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, many years ago, there was an article that came out by a fellow named Doug Dickey. He was the campus minister at Purdue University. You know, the same Purdue University that, that knocked Tennessee out of the Sweet 16 and almost knocked uh, last night Virginia off the list in, in overtime. But uh, he, he wrote something called The Psychology of Baptism. And I've always liked this. He says that in baptism, God meets our deepest emotional and psychological needs. He said, have you ever noticed how God created us in such a way that almost every emotion has an appropriate outlet? We release sadness when we cry. If we're afraid, we scream. We release hilarity by laughter, gratitude by giving, love by a passionate embrace. And when Jesus cleansed the temple, he even showed us that there's a proper outlet for anger. William James, the psychiatrist, once said, an impression without expression leads to depression. What happens when you suppress your emotions? It can literally make you sick. It's trying to, to like hold a sneeze inside. Have you ever tried that? I mean, it can hurt. Or ever try to hold back laughter? Sometime during the most serious event, it's hard to do. Or try not to cheer for your beloved team when they make a critical point and you're surrounded even by fans of the opposite team. Or try not to cry at a sad movie. An impression needs an expression. Think about the most trying times we've seen as a nation. Go back to when the, the Twin Towers collapsed. And this whole nation was in shock as we watched another plane crash into the Pentagon and another one in a Pennsylvania field. We felt sympathy, we felt fear, we felt anger, and we wanted to do something. So what did we do? We flew flags higher. We went to church. We sang God Bless America. We put bumper stickers on our cars, partly because of compassion, but because it also provided us an opportunity to release our emotion. So what do you do when you get moved by the person of Jesus Christ? When you understand that Barabbas, as the video said, was the one that got to go free. Do you know what his name means? Son of many fathers. 
It's a boy that probably had no idea who his real dad was. And here's the son of God, the one and only God. And he died for him. And he died for us. How do you express that gratitude? Knowing that he went to the cross as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. When you grasp the reality of his love and that you're forgiven. That you have the promise of, of life and meaning and purpose for living and getting up every single day. Well, I believe God provided baptism as a public expression of that faith. And then he provided it as a cleansing of our sin. You know that woman that I started the story about that, that said, you're not going to get me dunked? She kept coming to church. She started getting involved in Wednesday night church and, and in a, the old Bible fellowship that we had at our house at times. And she fell in love with, with Jesus in her life. And she grew through the programs. And about a year later, she said, I'm ready. I want to be baptized too, and I dunked her, okay? It wasn't, though, the result of arguments about the Greek word baptisma. It wasn't saying, look, look at this Greek word that means to immerse, to dip, to plunge, or to hold them under until they bubble, okay? It's a natural expression of love and faith, and she knew she was a sinner, and something had to be done with that sin and that guilt and shame. It was on the day the very first sermon was preached on the gospel, on the day of Pentecost. And the people, when they heard it, were cut to the heart. And what did they say? What shall we do? Well, Simon Peter didn't just respond, just believe in Christ and you're going to be okay. He didn't say just have faith. He didn't say repent and repeat after me this short prayer. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every single one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did they understand what he meant by that? You bet they did. The converts at Pentecost understood they were saved by trusting in Christ, atoning death for them on the cross at Calvary and baptism was the evidence that they were trusting him. That's why 3,000 people were baptized that very day. And we unabashedly preached the same gospel message that Simon Peter preached. Ananias would tell the repentant Saul of Tarsus, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Ananias wasn't saying, you're saved by works. He was telling Saul how to receive God's grace. Simon Peter would later write that Noah and his family, they were saved through water. He said this water that symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not just the removal of dirt from your body, but your baptism, he's literally saying, is the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In those first churches, faith, repentance, and baptism, they were all woven together as a proper response to the amazing grace of an amazing God. And friends, we say it about marriage, and we should say it about this as well. What God has put together, let no man separate. 
Second thing I want you to see is the baptism. It's a moving van for your belief in Christ. It is a move of the believer's commitment. Think about how you start all your new ventures in life. Life itself, when you're born, you celebrate your, your birthday. It's the start of a new life. Graduation is the start of a new phase of life with a diploma in hand. Your wedding day signifies the start of a new life together as a husband and wife. And guys, it's a day that you better remember, right? Or you're going to be in trouble. And baptism is a move of a believer's commitment. It is a move first from death to life. Baptism is a sim, sim, symbolizes Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Our entrance into the water shows us that we are identified with Christ as he hung on the cross at Calvary. And when he was buried in a tomb, our sins get buried in that tomb. And he rose from the dead and so do we. It's what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2. In verse 12 through 14, he said, going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. It's a move from death to life. And then it's a move into a brand new life. The old life is gone. We are raised to walk, as we say sometimes at baptism, in the newness of life. It's, it's like an outward symbol, a wedding ring of a commitment that we have made within our heart. And it's meant to show the world that you love and trust and have put your hope in Christ. You know, let, let me just say, if I were not married right now, and you knew I wasn't married, and I put on a wedding ring, and you saw that, would that mean I'm automatically married? No. <laughs> and similarly, I can be baptized in a church, but that doesn't make me a true believer in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Now imagine that I was really married though, and, and my wife and I really did go through the marriage ceremony. But I didn't wear my wedding ring, which I don't because I think I'm allergic to gold. Does that mean I'm any less married? No, it doesn't. But let me tell you, any chance I get, any opportunity I have, I wear that so that others know that I do love my wife. And I, and I want the world to know it. And if I've trusted in Jesus Christ to save me from my sin, if he is the joy and the Lord of my life, I want everybody to know it. And baptism becomes that statement that I belong to him and he belongs to me. And I'm living a brand new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone isn't in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Paul would so say to the church in Rome, We're therefore buried with him in baptism, in death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I remember years ago baptizing this, this young guy. He was married, had two kids. He'd grown up in an Orthodox Jewish home. 
And he knew as he, as he came to Christ, that meant he was turning his back on what his family had believed and taught him all his life. He would never be seen the same way by the Jewish community again, by the synagogues that he grew up in, by the temples that he worshipped at. He knew that his mother would not let him be part of the family's will anymore. But let me tell you something. He lives out in Baltimore now. And he's a Christian. His wife's a Christian. His two kids are Christians. One of them is in the Navy in Annapolis, Maryland, and doing a fantastic sharing his young faith there as well. But when I baptized him and he came up out of the water, he said, the same words I have heard so many people say, but he said it without reservation and in a way that just struck me in the heart as he said, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. It was the same as saying, as you'd been through a marriage ceremony, I'm married now. And he could not say more or enough about the grace of Jesus Christ. Because of his devotion to Christ, he understood why all that took place. And even though he turned his back on a life that he lived to that point, he knew Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 were true. It's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. He was a Christian. Well, let's move along. It's also a move into a blessed life. I love the fact that when we're baptized, we hear the words of the Trinity I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each of them present. But it confirms for us our position in Christ and affirms the blessings that a heavenly Father has upon us as his children. Let me just say that's one of the reasons it is so painful for me, even as it was with Aaron, the young Jewish man that I baptized, to hear someone say, you got to know where I'm coming from. It is so hard to be baptized because I came from a different teaching. I came from, some, many people, from a different teaching on baptism in the church that I grew up in. We didn't learn about immersion. We did things differently. And, I, and if I get baptized now, it's as if I'm saying to my mom and dad and everybody I love, you guys are wrong and you're not saved. And I can't do that. I don't believe in that. I heard it put this way. L let's say, that you are the owner of a grocery store and your parents own the same grocery store and your grandparents before them. And your parents and grandparents and even you were known that, to be people that were as honest as the day is long. Would never cheat anybody. But the state inspector comes into your store one day and he's, he's measuring your scales and he lets you know, you know what? Your scales are off, friend. You think you've been giving people a pound of, of lunch meat or a pound of produce? You're actually giving them 15 and a half ounces. Your scales are a half an ounce off. Now, when the inspector tells you that, is he saying that your parents were dishonest people? Was he saying that your grandparents were, were corroded at the heart back then? Absolutely not. They responded in faith to the truth as they understood it. But now that you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep your scales at 15 and a half ounces? Or are you going to have them adjusted? It would be dishonest if you didn't make an adjustment. And so we need to be individually people of integrity to the word of God as it's revealed to us. 
Or let's say you go home today, and this is Ohio. You know, yesterday was rain, a little bit of snow last night. The sun's out today. We could have a blizzard again by tonight or a hurricane somehow inland, right? I mean, that's Ohio weather. But let's say you go home today and you hear that sound go across your TV. You're watching the NCAA tournament, right? And it, and it says that a tornado has been spotted in this area. And you run to the back door and sure enough, you see a funnel cloud not that far away, kicking up debris and all kinds of things. In fact, it's coming right to your house. And in the background you hear, if you're in the vicinity of this tornado, go to your basement, move to an interior wall, get under something heavy right away. What would you do? Would you say, well, I'm not sure that I have to go to the basement. I mean, I I'm okay right now. I'm just going to stay here and watch the whole thing transpire. Or would you say, you know what, my neighbors, they don't have a basement, and if they can't go to the basement, well, I'm not going to go to the basement either. Or would you say, you know what, my parents lived through several tornadoes. In fact, the last one, the huge one, it took the roof right off of their house, and they were sitting right there at the kitchen table. And so I don't need to go to the basement. Honey, let's all go to the kitchen table and wait this out. You wouldn't do that. If I heard that alert and I saw that tornado funnel coming toward me, you know what I would do? I would listen to it, and I would go to the basement, and I would move to an interior wall, and I'd crawl under a heavy object, and if there was time, I would even bring Cheryl and live along with me. Wouldn't you? Well, let me wrap things up. One of the moves that we make, and we don't talk about this a whole lot, we make a move into a brand new family. Now, for some of you in rough family situations, you didn't grow up in a, in a stable environment. You grew up in a home with a lot of bickering, a lot of fighting, a lot of, of, of dysfunctionality. And, and for you to hear, say, a new family, you know, where, sign me up for this one, Bill. You know, baptism signifies a move into a new family. At baptism, we all become part of the body of Christ, his people all over the world. And in baptism, there's a real sense of being joined to other believers. It's not just a participation in an individual act of our own spiritual journey. We become written into a story that's much bigger than ourselves. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 says, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Now here's the last thing to walk away with this morning. Friends, I want you to discover the command to humble yourself before God is fulfilled at baptism. Now, I save this for last because this is one of the hardest ones to do. We live in a world that wants to throw off restraint. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. The biggest obstacle, the biggest barrier between any individual and God, friends, it's not family dysfunction. It's not greed, it's not lust, it's not doubt, it's not jealousy, and it's not laziness. The single greatest obstacle between us and God is our pride. And sometimes it's an intellectual pride that says, I'm smart. I can figure this out on my own, and I want to figure this out on myself. I don't want to accept God's word as an absolute truth that this is what I have to do. Let me figure this out on my own. And it takes humility to be baptized. Sometimes it's a social pride. I only want to be associated with impressive people. But in humility, when you come to Christ, you know what you find sometimes? It's the same thing they found on this earth when Jesus was here. 
He hung out with the lowly, the uneducated, the people that had mental disabilities and mental struggles, the people that the world looked down on. And sometimes to be part of God's family, you're going to rub, rub shoulders with some people that have an awful lot of baggage in their life. And then sometimes our selfish pride simply wants to earn our salvation by just being good and doing good things. I can live this life as a good person, and that'll be enough. It takes humility to say, I'm a sinner. I can never pay the penalty for my own sins. So Jesus, I'm just going to have to trust in you to do what I could never do at the cross. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Peter would write, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty right hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The Bible makes it clear the first step in coming to Christ is to humble ourselves and admit, Lord, I need you. I cannot do life on my own, and I submit to you as my Lord and Savior. It was Jeremiah, the old weeping prophet in the Old Testament that said, this is what the Lord says, let the wise man not boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness upon this earth, for in these things I delight. You know why Jesus told John the Baptist, baptize me? He said, let it be done so now to fulfill all righteousness. In these things I delight. You know, baptism is a pride extinguisher. I've seen all kinds of people into the baptistry, but there's one person who will never truly be baptized, and that is a proud person. Baptism is a humbling act, and it's a beautiful picture of a person submitting themselves to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Mark if you would come up and lead us in our closing song. As he does that, I want to remind you of a story in Acts chapter 8. It's the story of an ambassador, of a foreign dignitary from Ethiopia. He's a God-fearer, and he's actually gone to Jerusalem to worship God. And in the holy city, he heard the preaching about this Messiah and so many that believed he had come. The Jesus of Nazareth, he wasn't the anticipated political Messiah, but he was a spiritual Messiah that would allow himself to be crucified for the sins of mankind and that he rose from the dead to prove that all of his claims about being God were true. He was God in the flesh, and, and he's puzzled. And as he rides along in his chariot, heading back to Ethiopia, he's, he's reading from one of the Old Testament prophecies in the book of Isaiah about how this Messiah would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as his caravan is making its way towards the desert, a stranger sees him and calls out, Do you understand what you're reading? Well, how can I understand this unless somebody explains it to me? Can I help? And he stops the chariot, and this man named Philip, the evangelist that God had sent, was there to meet this man's spiritual need. 
The Ethiopian cabinet member invited him to join him in his chariot, and Philip began to talk about that passage of Scripture and told him the whole account of Jesus. As they traveled down the road, they came to an oasis with water, and the treasurer was so moved in heart, he said, here's water, can I be baptized? And I imagine Philip smiled and said, oh yeah, you can be baptized. And they got down out of the chariot, and Philip baptized this Ethiopian, And when he came up out of the water, the Bible says he went on his way rejoicing. That's our experience. That should be your experience that you can rejoice in all the days of your life and all the days of eternity. Again, 1 John 5, 3, this is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. And friends, if you have never been baptized, if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, the water's ready. Here's water. Why shouldn't you be baptized? You got one little last thing there on your outline, and it wouldn't be right for me not to give it to you. And it simply says this, Jesus made his pledge to us at the cross. We make our pledge to him at baptism. Who will you follow today? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we stand before you. And for those that have that wonderful memory, Lord, I just ask that each time we come and worship, our souls are still damp with the memory of when we went down under the watery grave. And then when we came up, you washed our sins away. And there's nothing magic about the water, but it's a remembrance of the day you took our sins to Calvary. That everything that stood opposed to you in our life, all our rebellion, all of our anger, all of our pride, all of our sin, it was nailed there in your flesh. And with one drop of blood, you cleansed us but you gave more than a drop. You gave enough to cover all of mankind if we would simply listen, if we would simply believe, if we would be willing to confess your name. I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. If we're willing to recognize life as we're living, it's going nowhere that we need you. And we've got to repent of that. And if we'd be willing to enter that grave. To be obedient to you and come up a new creation. One whose sins are forgiven but a simple vessel sometimes battered by the years, sometimes wearing the scars of a lot of bad decisions for the rest of our days upon this earth. Sometimes we come into the water of baptism with the memory of a lot of relationships littering the road behind us. But that was then. And now your Holy Spirit takes up residence in a clean heart. The same Spirit that produced the power to resurrect the dead. The same Spirit that could give hearing to a deaf, sight to the blind, power to the weak. And now our life is lived in a new awareness unto eternity. 
But Father, there's a person here this morning that doesn't know that power, that doesn't know the reality of that forgiveness because they've stopped at your door. Sometimes like a tepid child, we just want to stick our toe in the water when you tell us to jump in. And today's the day your spirit is urging them to do what needs to be done to make the adjustment to the scales of their mind and their soul to realize that only complete obedience to you and to your word is what it takes. So Father, let your spirit move in that person's heart to come forward as we sing to accept life. And I pray this in Jesus' name.